Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov podcast, coming to you live from my mother's bathroom. <laughs> Watch out, Haley Bieber. I'm coming for your YouTube <gasps> channel. I was literally going to ask, I was like, this is an unfamiliar background. What yeah, is that? The like, palm thing is really cute. Yeah, it's just a little beachy moment, you know? Yeah, my my friend's here working in the other room. My sister and her boyfriend are here. All three dogs are here. And I'm like, I just need a little private escape so i'm sitting at her vanity mm. <laughs> recording this, this you know what this reminds me of though do you follow there's a creator on tiktok called dutch do you follow mm-hmm. him at all okay he's hilarious i'll obviously send you some tiktoks and you'll die and obviously guys everyone go go check him out hilarious and he's just this like classic quintessential new yorker so quirky and like funny and he'll like come home at the end of the day and he like sits in his bathtub and he's just like goes through the whole ramble the whole rant of like whatever happened he's like and here i am just sitting fully clothed totally dry in my bathtub like (laughs) and i can't even like obviously i'm not doing it justice but it's his delivery is excellent and like it, he's just like, does feel, like this is all I can even do I will I was be here just thinking I'm like I feel like I am just sitting in a tub or something podcasting ah, vibes know. it's a or like you know people like podcasting closets mm. I, wonder, I mean I don't know what the audio is in here we're gonna find out but nonetheless here we are but we have an amazing episode for you oh, guys yeah. literally amazing and before we get into it We want to shout out our social goods collection collaboration. It is live. It dropped last week and it is all the voting cute ass merch that you've been needing for this year. And we worked with them for the last couple months trying to decide what to make, what the designs are, what is it going to say? And we created a trucker hat, a tote, some stickers and a pop socket that say friends don't let friends miss elections because it just couldn't be more true and the items just couldn't be more cute so definitely go check it out also all the proceeds go to vote forward who is an amazing voter organization that sends handwritten letters to voters to get them out to vote so go check it out you can go to socialgoods.com look under the collections tab and find our social goods x girl in the gov collab it's also under the brands tab, just to add a little detail. Also, double also, I was cracking up because I had a DM slide in relation to this collection. Oh, from a boy? Well, from a boy. Granted, we're friends, but oh. I Bummer. still... I- <laughs> Damn it. <I> hate friends. 
<laughs> why? And he was like, literally, cause, okay. So let me backstory is I made, well, okay. So Maddie was doing something, which meant that while I was waiting for her, that I just went way too ham on the videos. So there are a lot of reels and TikToks happening right now. And someone needs to come <laughs> kidnap me. So I stop. We might need an intervention for Samantha. It's fine. We're, we're doing, everything's fine. But, but anyways, I did make a reel where I made like a whole, like the intro is very like the, like the secret success point to like friendships, the reason, like the number one secret for like why friendships succeed. And then I like go into this whole thing about like friends don't, oh my God, I can't say it. Selections. Yeah. Which see now, now, now I've been speaking for way too long and I've hired myself out and now your voice box is punching you. The core foundation principle of a good friendship is that that you don't let your friends miss elections because, and he, he was literally like, none of my friends have checked on like my voter registration, which also I guess includes me, but Uh, oops. So anyways, but then I asked him, I was like, okay, so have you, cause he, re- he recently moved and I was like, well, have you updated it? What's the deal? And he was like, I actually don't know how. And then I sent him the information and now he's doing it. So mm-hmm. it's not like I'm a hero without a cape because I do own. No, you are. Really you really are. Cape. And I will say for anyone out there listening who like, you know, hasn't reached out to their friends yet or is planning to, like, I'm actually not kidding. Like when you get your friend to check the registration or remind them about an election or just give them any voter information and they weren't aware and you make them aware, like it's one of the best feelings in the world where they're like, oh my God, I totally forgot. Or like when you get someone on the right track with their voter registration and with their voting plan, it's the best feeling in the world. So implement that into your life and you will, you will see. Okay, so this is now a self-help podcast. That's what we sound like. <laughs> Anyways, no, I kinda, look, it is kind of self-help advice. because we, oh my God, mm. we so are. We are taking yeah. on a whole new, I was about to say a whole new leaf, but that's not right. We are helping um, friendships flourish across the country. And there it is. There it is. We're doing yeah. God's work, really, at the end of the day. But go check out Social Goods Collection <laughs> with Girl on the Gov. Again, they're really cute stuff and little accessories that you can you can have before this massive crucial election that's coming up in the next mm. I'm gonna get I'm gonna say month. I don't know generally the days I forget, right. but right. I I would say we're just a little bit over a month, which is fucking crazy, first of all. Insane. I don't even want to go there. Insane. Can't believe it's almost October. That's weird. What's your favorite merch item? Well, I'm still waiting for them to arrive. We ordered ordered last week, so should be here soon. So again, we'll see in person. But I love a hat. I love a trucker hat too. I actually have the trucker hat that we made, the same color, the same brand and make. But I have it in Machine Gun Kelly's merch that says, hello world, you fucking suck. (laughs) I got a Machine Gun Kelly's concert. Same exact hat and I love it. And so I'm happy, I'm excited to now have it in Girl on the Gov merch with this crucial messaging on it. So I think Here that's going to be my favorite. Moving on. We got to move on. We got to move on. So sorry, talk guys. About giving circles and remind you guys to join our giving circle and contribute because we are fundraising for the States Project, which is an amazing organization that works to dismantle GOP power in the States and win back majorities, States... Races, especially on the Democratic side, are very, very underfunded. But 
weirdly at the same time, a small amount of money can really get the wins that we need in those states to just doodle <laughs> to get back the majorities in the states. And so we are trying to do our part and contribute to that. And we do that by our giving circle. So go check it out. It's linked in the episode description and donate a few dollars if you can send it to your friends and family. That's the whole point of the giving circle is to donate your couple dollars, but then to continue to send it to your circle and get that, the giving to what's the word ripple, <laughs> ripple effect, ripple effect. Does that I was thinking more domino, but like ripple works. Domino. I like domino better. Okay. Okay. But yes, and one other thing to note is our fundraising deadline is October 17th. So please make sure to do the fundraising, the donating, the sharing, the caring, all that stuff before October 17th. Let's get it done. Let's win some of these state seats. We need them. We do, we do, we do. So that's the story there. Well, okay, wait. Hot goss also. So I see this note on our little itinerary here. And there's more to this situation and i i don't know who this guy is which i i feel like a lot of people won't know who he is so like can you tell me and the listeners who this man is that is allegedly an ex of kristen cinema so let me let's like back up a step first and just start by basically mitch mcconnell and kristen cinema just had like a little lovey-dovey moment and we don't mean like no one's cheating on anyone don't get the rumor mill started that's not what i mean by that i mean like unexpected fairly odd couple scenario yeah pretty rogue like literally I've never seen so many compliments for someone in politics at once it was actually that's probably a lie but it was a lot and he was basically going off not going off but giving giving some words of wisdom about how like she is the most effective junior senator he's ever seen or for not junior sorry first term senator and that he's ever seen in his 37 years which is Something to talk about in itself. That's Just true. Just remember 37 years. But and this was continue. also kind of like on like on the heels is like the wrong term, but in the same vein, oh, Biggie, come back. Okay. Anyways, of her talking about bringing back the 60 vote threshold for literally everything, including nominations, et cetera. So she's doing her Michigas that plays into Mitch McConnell's playbook. He's mm-hmm. giving her compliments back. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird bestiehood that I do not stand. Yeah, I saw that part odd. and I was like, well, that's weird. So she, basically, so that's that the back. Let's, that's the stage. Like we're setting that up, right? Mm-hmm. But then obviously Twitter had its moments. And while we're not on Twitter, our friend Katie Grossbart is on Twitter. And speaking mm-hmm. of which, you can listen to our episode with her. Go check it out. We had a really fun time interviewing her as well. Anyways, she does these awesome roundups of political tweets of whatever topics are getting chatted about during the day. And I guess Keith Olbermann, who used to be a correspondent for CNN, kind of this like legendary talking head. If you look at what he looks like, like, I might know. I think you'll like recognize him just in the sense of like, oh, like maybe you've seen. He says it's American sports commentator. Oh yeah. He looks a little familiar. I mean, he looks like any classic like anchor. A thousand percent. He is absolutely a type this headline says keith olbermann overshares on dating senator kirsten (laughs) tells her to resign (laughs) anyways he was this like classic talking head vibe and i guess he used to date kirsten cinema and he dropped this on twitter made a comment made some commentary on like this whole like mitch mcconnell bestiehood and then was like Mm -hmm. literally when we used to date blah 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 
And everyone was like, excuse me, hold the literal phone. You did what? And you can't like, just drop like no. that without more details. Like I need more, I need more tea. This is to me, this is the Adam Levine scenario of last week, like politics edition. Is she married? I don't I think she, wait, she I thought, saying? isn't she bi? I don't know. Yes. Oh my God. No, a thousand percent, which doesn't mean that she wouldn't date a guy because she's bi. She's the first openly bisexual and second openly LGBT woman to be elected to the House of Representatives and to the Senate. So that's also adding to the like, wait, hold the phone. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. That's all I have to say about it, really. Yeah. I mean, like, do I just as want more. You do, like, I hope that now that he date. dropped this tea that, like, people will push him to share more details because – Within wow. reason, obviously, because no one, you know, we don't want any like revenge porn scenarios. We don't want any like oh, no, I'm not mess up scenarios for any of that. Porn of right. <laughs> not what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> just maybe some like time, a timeline, you know, like maybe yeah. how many dates was it? How long were you mm. dating for? How serious were you? Those kind of details, you know, nothing, nothing of the revenge porn category <laughs> but interesting nonetheless maybe this i hope this is a we'll keep you yeah. updated story because i would love to hear more i hope um but yeah interesting tea for the week in the political space there but because you know what it is is you don't ever hear about the political dating scene in the sense of like people actually going on dates while being single and a politician like you hear about divorces you hear about affairs you hear about the the scandals and that end of things or even like, you know, the significant other is integrated into a campaign and somehow, but like no one's ever like, oh my God, like spotted Samantha, Cory Booker on a do date. We infiltrate the hill and get all of the dating gossip, not only from mm. of like the actual electeds, but even like the staffers, like Mitch McConnell's like comms director was caught hooking up with Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff like that I want that and I want like a gossip girl for the hill who do we talk to about that this is a great endeavor look I yeah. think our first starting point as like from afar is over her DC we can stalk that account a little bit okay good we should ask them to do this too is dear white staffers yeah dear white staffers might have some tea so much tea which is amazing we should have they them don't on really the touch the dating didn't we ask them I don't. I think they're anonymous. We asked them before they followed us back, and they maybe didn't see it. Maybe maybe we'll check it out, and maybe we'll, we'll ask again if if it applies. But anyways, TSI'd we'll work on that Gossip Girl situation. Maybe a collab mm-hmm. with your white staffers, a Dumas of politics. We'll get that. We'll hopefully get that going. Anyways, moving before we get into this episode in this interview, just reminder: our top stories episode dropped yesterday. We talked about what's going on in Congress this week. We talked about Iran. We talked about the Arizona abortion ban. So go listen. A lot of interesting and important news stories to learn about. So that's out now. And let's introduce our guest. Let's do it. Our guest is Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota. We get into so many different tangents on this particular episode. But what we really go into is dark money, changing dark money, getting it out of politics, generally campaign finance reform. Oh my God, the nitty, the gritty, the full 411. It happens mm-hmm. in this episode. It's such a fun episode. I just. It's fun, I mean, but it's so Mr. important. Phillips is too. also a riot. Yeah. Like, he's great. And 
we talked about this a little bit yesterday on top stories in our little teaser for mm. today's episode but it's just such an important topic and such an important issue and literally every single issue you can tie back to dark money in politics and why we can't get a fucking solution ever be it healthcare, climate change gun reform like it all comes back to the corporate stranglehold on our government and lobbying and dark money and this episode is all about that and dean phillips is a champion for campaign finance reform and we talk all about it so definitely an important episode to listen to to learn about to share with your friends because it's such an important topic so yes and she said but samantha do your do your line without further ado here's congressman phillips Well, let's get into it. You are the congressman for Minnesota's third district, and we have got to know about this district. What's the lay of the land? What does this district encompass? Give us the deets. Well, I think what's most exciting is I represent Paisley Park, Prince's extraordinary music production facility. And of course, we miss him in the third district and the Mall of America, which which people are kind of surprised to learn is the most heavily visited tourist attraction i think in the united states of america even more so than disneyland and disney world so that's my that's my claim to fame okay that is is a fun fact i will be whipping that out at every party i go to from now on thank you very much absolutely and of course land of ten thousand lakes and we got probably hundreds of them in my district and yes it Mm -hmm. snows a lot and yes it's cold winter so (laughs) none of those those jokes please okay well then you know what if it's so cold the mall situation does make sense because yeah, like what yeah. are you doing when it snows exactly. or it's cold like you're going to be inside you're going to be shopping we go to the okay, mall i can't i can't i literally can't move to your district because i will go broke so that's why yeah. now, now here's some good news there's no sales tax on clothing in minnesota don't tell me this oh this my is god disaster. we're booking flights right now stop <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh oh my gosh love it well that's those are some fun facts we love fun facts to dive deeper into the political environment in your district what does that encompass what are some of the issues that your constituents care about most can you kind of give us that snapshot yeah i'll I'll give you a little background the you know the district i represent had been reliably red for generations from 1960 until i won in 2018 it had been served by a republican congressman exclusively. So I was the first one in in 60 years. Fiscally more conservative, socially much more open-minded. It has changed considerably my district, like so many suburban districts throughout the country. Far more engagement of young people, women, especially now that with reproductive rights on the ballot. Uh, And over time has become a little bit more progressive, but very much a, a thoughtful, very engaged district. I'm proud of the fact that we have the highest voter turnout in the entire United States, 82% the in the last facts. election. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh, that and is amazing. The highest census self-return rate in the United States. So it just goes to okay. show people people who live in my district, they're engaged. They care about civics, they care about decency, civility, and participation. And, uh, and I care about listening. And mm-hmm. I love representing the people in the third district in Minnesota for that reason. That's amazing. First of all, what's in the water there? Clearly, yeah. like some type of like civic vitamin. I don't know how Voting that would work. Voting is one thing, but, but the census, uh-huh. you gotta, that's, that's impressive. That's it's impressive. Very, it's, yeah, just, and, and, and I wish the rest of the country was as engaged. I and mean, that's part Me of too. our, hopefully over time, that's part of our, in our national interest to get more people to vote and more people to participate. And that's, uh, that's what we need. 
Absolutely. It is like the model district for that. We'll have to think of some marketing around that. That Mm -hmm. is the ideas are marinating, Mm -hmm. if you will. But in the meantime, we do want to talk about your actual, you know, election to office and some of the things you notice. We know you're big on campaign finance reform, which is what we're really going to dive into because we have so many questions on this topic. But to just get like the baseline here, when running for office, like what did you notice in terms of fundraising? Like what were some of the things that really stood out to you, the good, the bad, the ugly? Well, I come at this having been on the other side of the table for years. I never imagined I'd be serving in Congress. I had a career in business. I had been supporting campaigns for many years, hosting events, and had gotten on the mailing list and the phone list of just about every candidate in the country and was appalled by the number of calls I got from candidates with whom I had no interaction, no knowledge in parts of the country that were of little consequence to me personally. And I recognized before I ran for Congress what just a messed up, broken, frankly, corrupt system our campaign finance system is here in the United States. And when I decided to run for Congress, little did I know that my election would be a 25 million bloodbath. You know, both sides injecting millions of dollars. I think I had to raise $6 million myself. I was on the phone nonstop, at events nonstop. And I came to recognize really quickly that to succeed in this industry, which is, I call it the political industrial complex, because it really, it's, by the way, it's the one thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on, is keeping mm-hmm. the system the way it is. And it deeply troubles me. And that, by the way, that little buzzer is the House voting buzzer. Don't, don't. Wait, we're, we're, I was going to say, should we pause for a second? What was that? No, <laughs> no, I'm loving that that's included because it just shows everyone how we're deep, we're deep on the hill right now. Yeah, it shows how deep on the hill and also shows how we're still basically like an 18th century institution trying to work in a 21st century world. No, but that that's sounded like my that yeah. sounded like my high school. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Time to go to class. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Time to go to class. Yeah. So I, I so I can tell you from from the day I, I just decided to run for Congress, which, by the way, the morning after the 2016 election, I was at the breakfast table with my two teenage daughters at that time, and I promised them I would do something. Their reaction to that election really left an indelible mark on me, and I decided I was going to do something. It became a run for Congress. And I learned so quickly just how disgusting the pursuit of campaign cash is in in our country. Mm -hmm. And my colleagues right now spend 10,000 hours per week raising money collectively in the House and Senate, dialing for dollars, going to events, evenings, hard to to find colleagues to have dinner with in D.C. when we're in session because most have to go to PAC events where they're handed, you know, checks and in little white envelopes and they go event to event. They go to breakfast, they go to lunch. In fact, I introduced a bill just a couple of weeks ago to ban the raising of money while by members of Congress while we are in session in Washington between breakfast and dinner. You want to do it before breakfast, after dinner, that's fine, but not on the taxpayer's dime because it's a massive mm. problem. And I call it the influence of affluence. You know, yeah. the vested wealthy interests in our country uh, just have a chokehold on legislative bodies across the country, and it's repulsive. And the sad truth is, I don't think enough Americans recognize how it, to me, is really the foundational challenge that we face if we really hope to reclaim some of the foundations of democracy that have been crumbling recently. And I'm, I'm and that's that's an agnostic political comment. Democrats yeah. are just as guilty as Republicans at perpetuating a system of corruption that yeah. I think is only legal because we allow it. In any other country, I think it would be punishable by law. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm on a mission to try to expose what's happening. I'm the only member of Congress, by the way, who takes no PAC money, no lobbyist money, and no money from my fellow members of Congress, and nor do I give it to them. And that makes me an outlier. I'm the only one out of 535, but I think it's mm-hmm. that important. 
And I'm here to expose the truth and shed a little sunlight on something that needs it. Absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, we talk about this all the time and like opensecrets.org is like our favorite website right. on earth. And we, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy too. You break down every single issue that yeah. voters care about and it always comes down to money and that chokehold you talked about and that, but that part is never talked about in the conversation when we were trying to be like, what, how do we solve climate change? All these things that we want to do. It's like, there's a simple answer of why we are not doing it, but like nobody really talks about that part. And so that's why I say all the time, Maddie, you know, that no matter what your number one issue, make campaign finance reform your number exactly. two. Exactly. Because it's that important and it does intersect with anything of importance to anybody. Okay. Social issues, cultural issues, climate change issues, tax issues, business issues, foreign affairs, military, you name it. Everything yeah. is influenced by the money in politics. Totally. totally. And for those that are really curious about this legislation that you just introduced, how can they find it? What's the full name? Give us yeah. the scoop on how they can sort of get this to the finish line. Yeah, it's called, well, this one's called on the On the Clock Act. It's HR 8089. Anybody can go to congress.gov and, and look at any bill that's in Congress, either by name or by title. Again, it's HR 8089. On the Clock Act, you can get a summary of the bill. You can look at who's co-sponsoring it and where it stands in committee. And of course, there are thousands of bills, so sometimes you got to dig deep. But it's one of many that are trying that we are trying to at least take some baby steps to reform a system that really needs it desperately. The United States is unlike just about any developed democracy in the entire world relative to how we allow money to essentially influence our elections. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, let's get into this campaign finance reform a little bit more. We want to talk about the Honest Ads Act, which mm -hmm. you are a co-sponsor of. Can you explain what this does and give us the background on the, on the bill? Yeah, you know, this goes back to transparency. You know, there, there have been advertisements procured by foreign entities that have influenced in voters. Of course, there's social media that is very hard to manage or control or police that influences our elections. And the Honest Ad Tax is about transparency, to know who's buying an ad that is influencing you and me. And by the way, we're influenced. I'm a member of Congress. I'm subject to the same ads that everybody else is. I, I often don't know who's taking them out. I don't know what their mission, their mandate is. And in the age after Citizens United, in an age unlimited dark money spending is happening, we don't know anymore you know, who's behind the ads. So this is a step to transparency. And I'll tell you, a proposition I'm noodling on right now that I've not introduced is one that I think would make a massive difference, and that would be to prevent the contribution to political campaigns to anybody that you can't vote for. Think about it. Mm. We have billions, billions of dollars right now spent in our campaigns. Imagine being in Montana and knowing that every ad on the television screen, every social media digital ad that you're seeing was bought by an entity based in New York or California or Texas or Florida, or it was, or financed by political donors in those states. I mean, the fact of the matter is it's a free-for-all. And I think we should get to a point in a, a thoughtful democracy where political contributions can be made to anybody for whom, who you can vote for. If you're yeah. presidential election, anybody, of course. A Senate election in a state, you've got to live in the state. A congressional election, you've got to live in the congressional district. Those are the kinds of modifications at least we should be debating, deliberating, and talking about because not only is the transparency important, the problem is that doesn't solve anything. We already have some transparency, and if people were even to go to Open Secrets and take a look, they would be appalled 
Mm-hmm. But it's not doing anything. So I think we have to do more than simply shed light on the problem, which is what the Honest Ads Act does. It's a baby step. It's just not the end-all yeah. be-all. Yeah. I have also a question to, like, the dark money element of it. Where, like, does this money go? Like, people are mm-hmm. like, okay, dark money happens. It goes into things. Like, where does it go? Where does it apparently come from? And how does well, it, like, get by? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like aren't there, like, certain regulations as to, like, how much you can donate to campaigns based on, you know, certain statuses? Like, where, how does this get around it? So it wasn't long ago where the candidate and the campaign of the candidate was the difference maker. You know, the candidate that raised the money and used it to buy advertisements, build a campaign staff and the like, controlled it and and had a big influence on the outcome of, of the election. Now, that's been outsourced. Candidates in an often case raise just a tiny percentage of what is actually spent in the race because all these big outside influential entities are spending massive amounts of money to support these candidates. Candidates are, are less important now. They're commodities. Mm-hmm. If you look on both the left and the right, people simply want someone who can win the election. They will pay whatever it takes, buy as many ads as necessary, and to answer your, answer your question, that's how the game works. There's a small, there are a small number of political donors that contribute an outsized amount of all the political spending, often undisclosed, and the groups that take that money buy ads. Well, first of all, get rich. People managing these, what we call IEs, independent expenditure committees, they cannot work with campaigns directly. It's illegal, which is another issue we've got to talk about. The FEC, the Federal Election Commission, it does not have the teeth and the resources necessary to actually police these things. But there are people getting to be very, very wealthy. They buy ads, often misleading, often hard to determine who they were bought and influencing all of us every single day. And it's billions of dollars. And again, Democrats benefiting just as much as Republicans. It's not about one party or the other. It's the system. Mm -hmm. Disgustingly corrupt. And I think we should just get back to the time where candidates matter. Money is part of politics and, you know, marketing is important and building a brand and and sharing a message. But there's a way to do it and conduct it in a fashion that I think is more transparent, more ethical and more reasonable for the people that are being influenced by it. Yeah, we have a question, too. You said something. I mean, this was my question before, but you said something about like getting rich, too. Can you Mm -hmm. kind of explain like some of these some of these campaigns raise so much money like how is that money used? Is it always ever used? Does the candidate get paid? Like, what? where does some of this money go? Because sometimes I'm like, you raised $30 million in the elections next month. Why do you need that much money? Well, you know, money is influence. It, By the way, it's, it's influence not just in elections around the country. It's also influence within the Republican conference and the Democratic caucus. Money is used to influence your colleague to support you when it's time for leadership elections. And if you look at this right now, you can tell who's going to run for leadership posts because they're crisscrossing the country right now doing Mm. fundraisers for as many House members as humanly possible so that when the time comes for elections in the conference or caucus, they tap you on the shoulder and they say, hey, remember I came to Memphis or I came to Seattle to raise money for you? Well, you know, now it's your turn to support me. That's how the game works. Wow. Um, Consultants, finance consultants, they get a percentage oftentimes of whatever's raised. If they conduct a digital campaign for you, they might be taking 10% of whatever that campaign generates. If it raises you a million dollars, they're getting $100,000. The dark money groups, the independent expenditure committees, I have no idea how much they're making. The people that run these groups, they could be making hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of dollars for all I know. That's the problem. We don't even know because it's not reported. But it is a massive industry. I think $14 billion spent 
on political campaigns in the last federal election. So you can imagine with that kind of money floating around, how many people are getting wealthy and how many people want to protect the status quo. That is what's standing in the way right. of any change. Yeah. That's why we and need just... people. That's why we need you. That's why we need everybody listening right now yeah. to understand right. uh, how you're being disenfranchised by, by big money, mm -hmm. by big money yeah. on both sides of the aisle. And just to like give a little bit of like a definer moment, can you give like sort of the layman's terms of what an independent expenditure committee is? Like what, yeah. what exactly is that and how does it work? So if you, in a campaign, a candidate can solicit you for a contribution. And in a congressional campaign, there's a cap. That's $2,900 before the primary and it's $2,900 after the primary. So $5,800 is the maximum amount an individual can contribute to a candidate during what we call a cycle, two years in, you know, in between. So that's how, that's how the, the caps are done for individuals. For dark money groups, for IEs, independent expenditure committees, those are just groups that are set up. They cannot coordinate with campaigns. They can't, they can't work with a candidate to say, you do this, we'll do that, here's what we're gonna run. There's supposed to be a wall between the two, although I think collusion happens all the time. And what these dark money groups do is raise money from gazillionaires all around the country and then determine what races they, they want to influence. And then they simply create ads, oftentimes attacking the opponent of the person they're supporting, often using mis, you know, misinformation and disinformation to make their point. And again, it, oftentimes it appears that it might be the candidate doing the ad, but it's not. And that's yeah. why the transparency issue is such a big deal is that we don't even know when we're seeing these ads who's actually running them. And it allows candidates to wipe their hands and say, hey, you know, I promised to run a nice, thoughtful campaign. That wasn't me that ran that nasty ad. You know, that was somebody else. Well, in the meantime, you know, they're laughing all the way to the, the polling station. So that's how yeah. that game works. And that's what IEs are. We call them IEs, independent expenditure groups. And they're mm -hmm. separate from campaigns. Then you also have the national parties, the DCCC, right. the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the RNCC, the Republican National Campaign Committee, the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, the, gov the Democratic governors, the Republican governors, every one of these groups raises tens of millions of dollars every cycle. And you just don't know who's behind it. Totally. That's wild. And it's crazy, too. Like, as, as a sitting Congress member, you're like, I don't even know what is going on. Like, it's just, it's wild. It's but, it's yeah. yeah. And by the way, it's the time. Let me also say this. It's the time, it's the money, of course, is corrupting. The time is what's really disturbing to me. Mm. So much time is spent in the pursuit of money that it, it disenfranchises people by definition because who do candidates raise money from? People who got it, right? Yeah. Wealthy people, you know, PACs, political action committees, which by the way, political action committees, for those that aren't aware, can be formed by any company, any organization can have a political action committee that aggregates contributions from its members and then can share checks with campaigns up to, I think, $5,000 is the maximum political action committees is, is how that works. And I think there are only two of us in Congress that take no PAC money whatsoever, which is also somewhat of a, a, a small caucus, if you will. Yeah, and I lost my train of thought. I was just going to make a really important point about something, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe it's okay. you can it, it'll come back to you. But while in the meantime, 
We also want to talk about foreign money and election uh, interference, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a probably a whole nother beast. So yeah. can you kind of explain what that all looks like? And while you're yeah. at it, explaining the Get Foreign Money Out of Elections Act. Yeah. Oh, what I was talking about before foreign influence is time. The fact that it's oh, yeah. the time, the time is spent with wealthy people, wealthy groups, wealthy, you know, PACs and the like. That means that people of modest means, you know, all throughout the country feel disenfranchised, underappreciated, unheard, and they never even see candidates because candidates don't spend time. They don't have an incentive to spend time with the people that really matter. And that's why I believe at some point we should really consider allowing contributions only from people who can vote for the candidate that's being, that's soliciting them. That gives an incentive to the candidates to spend time with the voters, not with the big money groups all around the country. Foreign influence, you know, we have laws that preclude foreign individuals and entities from directly financing campaigns in the United States. However, you know, there are loopholes and there are ways that foreigners can do so. Of course, in this, with global enterprises, you know, political action committees of, of, of businesses that are based in the US, it's really hard to track where the money's coming from. Advertisements on, on digital ads and social media sites hard to track. That's why the Honest Ads Act is so important. Other countries want to influence our elections. You know, we know that. We've seen the evidence of it. In this day and age, it's awfully easy to do because social media is such an influencer of people. And even if it's not an ad that was purchased, there are countries right now, Russia, Iran, probably North Korea, perhaps China, that actually influence our elections very indirectly by paying people to create stories, spread misinformation, disinformation on American social media sites that is never going to be tracked because it wasn't directly paid for. It's simply, you know, anonymous users and fake accounts. So these are all issues that we should all be aware of. And that's why I'm encouraging voters to spend more time looking at the candidates directly, going to their town halls or their debates so they see the truth for themselves with their own eyes. Don't believe what you see on TV because the fact of the matter is most of it is wrong. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I always kind of like get a jump whenever I see a TV ad. I'm like, okay, which weird rabbit hole are we going down next? Exactly. It's just like, what the hell? Yeah. Anyways, besides TV, besides international inter- intervention financially, we do want to talk about another sort of end of this at home, which is the NRA and money as well. So anytime, you know, the NRA comes up, people sort of ask the question of, okay, well, the NRA is bankrolling all of these elected officials. And then the question goes, okay, well, but like, how are they bankrolling these elected officials? Like where, if the NRA is like donating to these candidates or they can't or electeds, where is that money actually going? So the NRA can, they, they have a PAC. The PAC can contribute directly to campaigns, $5,000. There goes our little (laughs) country buzzer again. Yeah. So that's one way they can do it is, is direct contributions from their political action committee to candidates. What, what they, where they really make an impact is essentially their IE, their independent expenditure committee. They can spend in any race around the country as they wish, and they pick and choose based on where they want to play, if you will. And that's where the real influence comes. $5,000, not going to change the outcome of an election. Spending a couple million dollars, $5 million on television ads in a race, in a congressional race, that can really move the needle, and that's how they do it. And again, it's not just the NRA. You know, there are Democratic groups that do the yeah. same thing. 
The NRA. So it's not, it's not like they're just giving them, they're handing over like wads of cash and they're like, Hey, put it in your bank account. Have a great time. It's no, really limits. $5,000. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. $5,000 okay. limit on their direct, on their direct contributions. But that's why this is a, this is all a, right. a funny money game. Direct is one. That's one thing. It's the indirect that makes all the difference in the world. Now they can't coordinate with the candidate. They can't show them the ad they're going to do or work with them on it. They've got to do it totally separate, but they are allowed to do it based on the current law. And it's really- So is it just really an unspoken close. thing then when, you know, the NRA has put a bunch of money into these ads that support this one candidate to ultimately get into office? Is it then just like this unspoken thing when they get into office, like don't, don't vote for this bill or, you know, like how does that work once they're in office and that lobbying mm -hmm. arm, like what yeah. is that dynamic like? Well, you know, it's it's a two-way street. I, I don't want to say that just because just because a political action committee supports a candidate doesn't mean the candidate is corrupt or doesn't mean the PAC is corrupt at all. Yeah, in we fact, know some most good of them are. Yeah, you know, and most of the most of the time, the PACs are supporting candidates that they're aligned with that that have the see things the same way that are aligned politically or on that issue. So that's how it works most of the time. But is there absolutely a sense of a quid, a quid pro quo, if you will, when someone? works hard to help you get elected and send you a pack check. Or in the case of on the Democratic side of the aisle, unions are really good at getting out the vote. They do door knocks and they make phone calls. All of these things establish some degree of expectation. You know, you don't commit your time or money to something without expecting something in return. And what these organizations want in return is your vote on the things important to them. And yeah, it's, it's troublesome to me. I wish we didn't have even perception of that mm -hmm. kind of quid pro quo or the perception of somewhat of a expectation based on on those sums. So is and the yes, expectation... a lot of members of Congress, expectations, and by the way, fear. I mean, uh, members of Congress yeah. don't want to cross the big, the, you know, the mighty and the most well-financed groups because A, they want that support they needed to win their elections and the B, one. they don't want, they don't want a, a social media frenzy coming after them if they vote the wrong way on an issue that's important to the the big groups. And that's, there's kind of a culture of fear that unfortunately exists in Congress that I wish we had more courage to overcome. It's literally wow. the mob. I yeah, swear to God, every single time I'm like, is this a mob movie or is this politics? One and the same, I suppose. But we do want to also talk about something that we think might be pretty cool. And that is the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about this? Because this got me excited yeah. when I saw this A existed and B that you're on it. Oh, it's the best committee. I think it's the best committee on Cong in Congress and I'm thrilled. It's, it's the most engaging, interesting and impactful work I get to do on a daily basis. It's bipartisan with the same number of Democrats and Republicans. And I look at Congress and the dysfunction as solvable but it requires the, the physical redesign, social redesign, and organizational redesign of the institution. And I wasn't kidding when I say it's an 18th century institution trying to adapt to a 21st century world. And it doesn't mean we should change everything. It just means that we should be keeping pace with change, using technology when necessary to improve efficiency and effectiveness, and, and really looking at the social construct of Congress because it's a human institution. You know, we are just people from all around the country, all kinds of different backgrounds and politics and perspectives. And there is no culture of congregation right now. There's no intention between the leaders on both sides of the aisle to get us to work together, to get us to know each other and share our life stories and build some trust. So the Committee on Modernization is looking at how do we change these social 
organizational and physical design elements so that we can just be a more functional institution. And we do it differently, starting with even how we have our hearings. If you've ever seen a congressional hearing, you'll see on you'll see three tiers of a dais, Democrats on one side, Republicans on another side, every member of the committee given five minutes, not to really ask questions of the witnesses, but to perform because perform. everybody's looking to get a 30 second you know, Twitter clip or be on the you know, evening cable shows. And that's how this game works. And it's, right. it doesn't do anybody any service. So in the modernization committee, we sit at a single table together, Democrats, Republicans next to each other. Our witnesses are at the table with us. We don't get five minutes to talk. We actually have a conversation. And from this basic, simple construct that any organization in the world uses right now, because that's how you actually do meetings, would know that that's, that's it's simple things like that that we can change to make this place work better and make it less about performance and more about the principle of, of doing good work for people. So yeah. we're looking at staff compensation. We're looking at creating spaces for people to meet. We are looking at the orientation program. So when new members come to Congress, that we're more intentional about getting them to trust, respect, and get to know each other. We're looking at how the committees are structured and what their jurisdictions are and how many we have and how we actually do meetings, how we use technology, all those kinds of things, because collectively we can make this place work better. And that's why I think it's the most important committee in Congress. No, that's super cool. I love that that is a thing too. That's super exciting stuff. I do have kind of like a closing question for you though, which is really like regarding this whole conversation we've had, and, and these are major structural changes to mm -hmm. Congress and how it functions. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on the actual progress of like getting these things done and if you're hopeful for it. And I know like you are such an advocate for all these structural changes. Like how is it though when you're in there and you just see these like performances and you see the money, like how do you stay yeah. hopeful and on the track towards actually getting these things done do you think it's possible yeah i think i think i think anything is possible and you know but but to to make anything possible you got to participate and that's the lesson i learned in 2016 i didn't want to be a complainer i didn't raise my daughters to be just observers i wanted them to be participants and i wanted to model that kind of behavior especially in a country that needs people to not just pay attention, but to be participants if we hope to really maintain this experiment in democracy. And by the way, public service isn't just running for Congress, it's school boards and city councils, and it's being a teacher, it's being a firefighter, a police officer, any way, a mental health counselor, anything that serves the public is public service. And I'm optimistic because I spent a lot of time with high school students and my intern groups, both in Washington and Minnesota, and I see extraordinary talent and engagement and excitement, and not just amongst progressives, but amongst younger conservatives too. And it makes me optimistic that there's a generation rising that is going to do this better. And my job is to try to prepare for it, you know, to create the foundation to really affect some meaningful change. And it doesn't have to be massive change. In fact, I think incremental change is better. Evolution versus revolution. And right. we got to evolve, we got to modernize. And in Congress, I think a lot of this stems from a few things. We talked about the money in politics. I think we have to end gerrymandering. We need more competitive races and competitive districts in the country. There are only about 30-some races this, this election cycle that are even really competitive. All the rest are deeply red, deeply blue. That's not a good recipe for people who want to work together. Mm -hmm. And I like ranked choice voting. I like the idea of affording an opportunity for third parties, independent candidates, to actually stand a chance of success and allow voters to rank 
their choices rather than just have to make a single choice. And it forces elections to have a winner that achieves more than 50% of the vote as well. So campaign finance reform, ending gerrymandering, ranked choice voting, and participation. You know, those are the four legs of the stool that I think we really need to take a look at. And I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic, despite working in a place that is awfully dysfunctional and has some <laughs> people that lack character and the print. There are a lot of wonderful people and it's mm -hmm. a joyful job for anybody who likes to help not just the people that we serve, but the country that has given us this chance. So I'm, I always say keep the faith and optimism is just as contagious as fear. There it is. We love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is a topic that we talk about all the time. We rant about all the time, but we haven't fully like dived into yet. So we're super excited. I've done this with you. Thank about you. people, is there anywhere people can find you, social media, websites, all of those things? Oh, yeah. I, you can find me. I'm easy to find. And and I do my own tweeting. So one of the there rare, that's another, oh, I'm going to tell you a little dirty secret. You know, Ooh, most, okay. Most, I love the tea. Most social media by candidates is done by a staff, a communication staff member. Mm -hmm. Very few members of Congress do their own tweets. I do my own tweets. A lot of my uh, other official you know, press releases and Facebook and the like, oftentimes by staff, nothing leaves my account without me doing it. And, and that's a little bit different. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Rep Dean Phillips and Dean B. Phillips on my personal slash political account. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for oh, joining and, oh, us. Oh, and I'm on TikTok, oh, TikTok now. Hey, I'm a, I believe in modernization. I was going to so. say, follow us. <laughs> All right. Insta, TikTok, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk the talk. Although my TikTok game is kind of, I, I'm working on it. Well, we can help you, by the way. We can thank we'll you. talk to you. We'll talk to you after this. Yeah. All right. Good. But... Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you guys. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.